Hello everyone, I'm Jacob Kaufman. And I'm Richard Bimmer. And welcome to episode 15 of Rolling Release, our weekly podcast about the perpetual improvement of Linux. How you doing this week, Richard? Pretty good. I'm finally figuring out how to do my PA and C, so. Oh, that's good. Language. PA and C, what's that? Uh, well, yeah, we so use the term PA for programming assignments. Okay. But in right. C language. So I'm you're learning, learn. still learning C and actually figuring some of it out. Yeah. Right, that's good. That's good. I've been doing pretty good this week as well. I think I had something I was going to say at the beginning of this stream, like, oh, I was doing okay, like this happened, but I forgot what that was after the past 45 minutes of highlighting articles. Um, so Richard, we're just going to jump right in this week. We didn't have a ton of, of stories this week, just to warn everyone, but we do have a lot of viewers, so we'll see what kind of conversation we can get going on the screen. So our first story this week is KDE Plasma Mobile might be coming to the Purism Librem 5 phone if that Librem 5 gets funded. So last week, one of the stories that we talked about was Purism, the 100% Libre hardware vendor, trying to crowdfund a phone that they're calling the Librem 5. And this week, they made a partnership with KDE because they want to bring Plasma Mobile to their smartphone if that phone gets crowdfunded. What do you think about that, Richard? No, I think it was actually really cool. And yeah. I mean, when I first heard about this and we covered last week, I mean, I wasn't too impressed with how the phone looked, but I think this article is making me feel a little better about it. And like, hopefully that'll have a much better chance. Yeah. And more interested just to see, like, I might actually try this now if it does well. Yeah. And it's interesting. I'll tell you, I'll talk a little bit more about GNOME versus KDE on a phone in a little bit. But first of all, just to go through the story here. So yeah, uh, KDE Plasma Mobile we'll get some real reference hardware to play on if this works because the KDE has been working on Plasma Mobile for some time. Plasma is their desktop environment, by the way, and Plasma Mobile, of course, would be their mobile desktop environment for phones. Um, they've been working on Plasma Mobile for a little bit, and it's even working on some phones, um, but basically it's only limited to like the Nexus 5 and like maybe one other phone, and that's nothing new. Uh, it's pretty old phones that they've been working on. So this would be some real present-day hardware for KDE to work on, and it would also get them a lot of possible users using their software who could possibly report bugs or give feedback on things. This would be big for KDE. Um, for Purism, this partnership also gives them the opportunity to get a mobile OS that fully supports their encrypted handset off the bat. They won't have to hack away at it like they're going to have to with GNOME. Uh, because KDE already has Plasma Mobile partially working. So yeah, Lydia Pinster, president of KDE EV, which is the financial organization behind KDE, uh, says that partnering with Purism will allow us to ready Plasma Mobile for the real world. They feel like it's still kind of a sandbox product right now, uh, but with this partnership, they think that they're taking a big step toward actually getting Plasma Mobile in people's hands. Um, however, the OMG Ubuntu article points out, this news does not mean Plasma Mobile is going to be the default OS on the Librem 5, simply that it's going to be an option. Now, whether that means it's an option you can select while you're buying it, or if it's just something you have to flash afterwards, not sure. Um, you know, so plenty of people buy phones that they know they can flash like Lineage OS onto. So it could be like, a, I'm going to buy a Librem 5 and I'm planning to put KDE on it, even though it comes with GNOME. It might be one of those, or it might be an option to get it shipped with. We're not really sure yet. Um, but yeah, basically, Preerism has said that they want to make Plasma Mobile a top-tier experience on the handset. So what this partnership means is they're not, um, they're not just throwing this on as an afterthought. They actually want to make Plasma a uh, a top, you know, an actual option. They want to what what's the word I'm thinking of, Richard? 
like, like an actual good first, alternative first class citizen on the phone like yeah. it's not like it's a gnome phone that you can put kde on it's it's a linux phone that you can choose kde as an option for um, and i mean they put a heavy emphasis on that even in the article we were reading last time where they were saying they wanted to do be able to put anything on it yeah they did say that last time and um yeah this is kind of i guess what they were talking about so yeah both kde and purism they actually share goals a lot uh, because KDE really has a lot in their manifesto and their, you know, what they're about, about openness, commitment to free as in freedom software and providing lots of user control. Those are all things purism is about, not all things that GNOME is about, you know, providing lots of user control, not necessarily something that GNOME is about. Um, and even though GNOME is entirely free Libre software, um, KDE, that's a big part of them as well. So makes a lot of sense for KDE and purism to team up. Now, unlike a GNOME phone experience, like I said, a lot of the code for Plasma Mobile already exists. There's a video here from 2015, so this is from two years ago, uh, that shows what the current state of Plasma Mobile at that time was. And I did watch the video, and it was pretty impressive. Like, it was farther along than I thought, and that was from two years ago. So I can only imagine how much better it's gotten since then. Um, like, it, this is actually something I would put on my phone if it was available. I wouldn't just put anything on my phone. Um, you know, there's like WebOS ports and, and things that, <laughs> that I've considered putting on my phone, but I've decided it's more important to have my phone actually work well than to have, you know, just weird projects on it. But I would actually put Plasma Mobile on my phone if I could. Um, but yeah, if once again, all this is contingent on Purism actually raising enough money to launch the phone, because if they don't launch the phone, they can't put KDE on the phone. They are on course to succeed, however. There's well over a month remaining to gather the rest of their money. They've been going for a couple of weeks now. They've raised $290,000. They're asking for, what, $1.5 million? Um, yeah. So that's still a lot. Still a lot. It is an all-or-nothing campaign, so you're not going to get charged unless they um, they actually reach their goal. So I'm actually I'm kind of considering backing it, although I probably probably won't. Um, but yeah, they are ahead of the trend line, quote unquote trend line to succeed. I don't know what trend line means if they're anticipating people um, like an upward slope in people backing. Um, how much do you know how much it was to actually back it to get a phone, Richard? It's not um, super cheap. I think 300. Oh, I thought I, I thought it was a little that. bit more than that. All right. Okay, so to actually words. get a working phone. It's five ninety nine. So it, it's six hundred dollars. The three hundred one was the developer it's kit. The developer so kit. that's like a taken apart phone that you can develop on. But if you actually want um, a, a put together end user device, that's going to be six hundred bucks. Which that's just about as much, if not a little less, than an iPhone um, or like a, a Nexus, whatever the newest. I'm or thinking Pixel. it's about equal to a Nexus. Yeah, or Pixel is what they're called. Pixel, now. Yeah. Nexuses now are probably a little bit cheaper. Um, but yeah. So it's not, it's definitely not um, overpriced, but it is as much as a flagship. It's certainly not a budget phone, but yeah, um, like I said, they're on track to succeed according to their statistics, and they did release some new renders of the Librem 5. Now, when we talked about this last week, Richard, one of the things we talked about was how ugly the thing was. Yeah. These new renders look a lot better. I think they look a lot better. Yeah. What do you, what do you think of these? I mean, these are definitely like I'm, I would think about actually purchasing yeah, this like phone they, if they did well. They they got rid of the huge bezels on the sides. Uh, the camera looks a lot more reasonable now. The buttons and switches on the sides look a lot more integrated into the phone. Um, just the entire thing, the 
yeah, aspect ratio of the screen. I mean, it yeah. still doesn't look quite like the modern day flagship phones we're used to now, like you oh, say I... the S8 or the new iPhone 8X. Well, but hang on, now it the, does look. The new iPhone 8X looks like a piece of crap, uh, in my opinion. And all of the new iPhones have glass on the back, which was a bad idea when they did it with the four, and it's a bad idea now. Um, and all the new don't the new Samsung devices have glass on the back as well? Like yeah, I I think when you say this doesn't look like a modern day flagship phone. You're saying it doesn't have like it doesn't look like this last generation of them, maybe sure, uh, but this certainly looks similar to the OnePlus Five, for example, that we were talking about. And the OnePlus Five took a lot of design cues from last generation's iPhone. Um, I think yeah. this certainly it looks I think, almost identical to a seven. Yeah, <laughs> the OnePlus Five. I think <laughs> you put them side by side. I think this looks decently like a flagship phone, uh, maybe a little bit thicker, but some people like some heft in their devices. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think this looks like a crappy phone at all. Uh, I think it looks yeah. fairly decent. So yeah. Um, I'm just still weirded out by the, um, why can't I think of the term, but by the screen, not size, but ratio kind of a width to height. Well, I for some reason think of this. No, with this new, it looks all off. With like this new off, render, but... it looks not really super off to me. Maybe it's a little tall, but it looks pretty standard to me actually. So I don't know what that's about. Um, but yeah, ZDNet also covered this, um, once again, let's see, yep, Librem 5 is meant to be a secure smartphone with privacy protection by default, that's one of the big arguments for having a free and open, you know, phone, is your phone you carry with you all the time, so if you're gonna have freedom respecting software on anything, you'd kinda wanna have it on your phone. Um, ZDNet mentions that this phone's operating system is likely to be based on Purism's Pure OS, which is based on Debian. But it is, it's using like the Lib Linux Libre kernel. It's not using regular old Linux. Um, it is pure OS. And honestly, if I bought a Purism laptop, I would probably wipe off pure OS and put Arch on it. Um, if I bought a Purism phone, probably not going to be putting Arch on a, on a phone. You know, <laughs> probably not going to be putting Ubuntu on a phone now that Ubuntu phone has been discontinued. Um, I'm probably going to be leaving pure OS on here if I were to get one of these. Um, I think most people would. So I think this is where having your own operating system makes a little bit more sense than if you're selling laptops. Because laptops, I just think they should put Ubuntu on every Linux laptop and let people put whatever else they want on there. I, you know, I don't like that System76 has Pop! OS and, you know, Inchoware has whatever distro. Like, they, I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to have manufactured distros for laptops. But for phones, it does make sense, I think. What do you think about that? Yeah. I Just mean, I definitely. Yeah, you. you you're but I'm not want... sure on a free and an open phone that it matters either way because if they're gonna have, if they're gonna offer GNOME versus KDE at a certain point, like I feel like the people who'd be going for this type of phone are already people who are fine with changing the OS on their like stuff. Well, I think I mean you can get GNOME and KDE both on Debian, so it would probably be you're using PureOS with GNOME or PureOS with KDE if this were the case. Yeah. Um, because like you say, you say all oh, these people would be fine with putting another operating system on, but the thing is like for phones, like Lineage OS, you know, I'm comfortable with flashing a ROM and I flashed Paranoid Android, I've flashed other ROMs before. Um, and that's something CyanogenMon kicked off and then there were a lot of other ones that came after it. But, and then, you know, on desktops and laptops, once again, you can sell a, a laptop with any operating system. I can put Ubuntu on and I can put Fedora on it. But I don't think that you or me, Richard, would really know how to go about putting Arch or Fedora on a phone. 
Like we, I can't put Fedora on my OnePlus Two. I, I don't know how I would put it on my Libra. My uh, yeah, Libram. Well, I mean, aren't they completely? Do they even have a version of those that are ARM based? Like, yeah, yeah. You I can assume get, they do. Yeah, because you can put them on a Raspberry Pi. That's ARM, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, the point is um, that this is probably going to be PureOS, but haven't announced that for sure. So we'll see. Once again, Plasma Mobile already works on some off-the-shelf smartphones, but not very many. Um, KDE has created, once again, KDE is completely free. That's one of the reasons why it's an option for the PureOS people. And um, this is a quote from Todd Weaver, the CEO of Purism. We feel that Plasma Mobile will become a serious contender that may break the current duopoly and bring a full-featured, fully free Libre and open-source mobile operating system to the market. We look forward to trying out Plasma Mobile on our test hardware and working with KDE's community. So I think this is a great thing for KDE. I think it's a great thing for Purism because I, I was not considering backing this before. Um, I'm still, I probably won't back it right now just because I'm a college student. I have to watch my money. But like I am actually considering now backing it because these renders look really good and I would love to use KDE on a smartphone given how much I love to use it on a desktop. Now, about the whole KDE versus GNOME on a smartphone thing, like these renders that they've got, Richard, that have like the GNOME activities menu with a bunch of icons. Like, yeah, that's still a GNOME, I assume. It, that makes sense to me, though. I, I mean, do you remember back when GNOME 3 happened, one of people's complaints about it was this is designed for touchscreens and not... Uh, mice and keyboards. So anymore. now it's finally made it to the proper spot. Hopefully. Like, and I never really bought into that argument with GNOME. I said that about Unity. I said Unity is just designed for touchscreens. It's got the sidebar on the left side with all these square buttons that you can tap. Um, and it was kind of neat when I had my my old convertible tablet laptop. But um, on a computer with just a mouse, you know, I, I thought Unity was kind of too touchscreen-ish. But GNOME has things that are mice, uh, mouse optimized such as the activities menu opening with a hot corner like hot corners you can only really have with mice um yeah and it makes a lot of sense for using with mice and i use hot corners here in kde uh but they're built right in well they're configured by default in gnome they're not as configurable in gnome as they are in kde but yeah um i actually I mean, do although think other phone os's have like i think corner kind of things like for a while i mean ios actually removed it in ios 11 but they had the thing where you can hold force 3d touch on the left side to get to your switch menu and i'm pretty sure android has like the corner settings yeah um i mean you can swipe in from the corner on lock screen in android i don't know about other gestures but yeah, um, those don't, I don't use those on my phone. I don't like to use those on my phone. And that's, that's different than when you're using a mouse. You know, a hot corner on a computer, your mouse, you just put it in a direction and it activates 100% of the time. Whereas like with Windows 8 in a mouse, you had like those charms bars and things that came from the sides of the screens that were designed for touch screens. And that was something where you could swipe in from the side on a touch screen, but on the computer, I mean, they had to convert those into semi-hot corners that you have to go into the corner and then move a certain direction up. I just activated a hot corner, whoops. Um, <laughs> I've but, been fortunate enough never to have to use Windows 8 for more than 20 minutes, so <laughs> I actually right, was not well, aware of that. But <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, my point is, I think that no makes a lot of sense for a mobile device because it's super simple, you know, and that's what people using iPhones certainly want. They want super simple. GNOME is super simple. Like, this is kind of what GNOME has been working on this entire time with GNOME 3. 
um, at the same to put it into something like really actually useful in a real test bed. They have the opportunity to. However, I am excited about this KDE partnership because I use KDE on my desktop and, you know, even on my phone, I'm probably going to want a little bit more um, configuration than most people would want. That's why I use Android instead of iOS because I like things a little bit more configurable. Um, so, yeah, I think this I is mean, a... If I got this, I'd be fine with either and I definitely want to try both just to get right. a flavor of what each is like. And as of right now, like this is the purism people that have been saying they were going to put GNOME on this. The GNOME project has had no say in this. This was like purism <laughs> said, we're going to modify GNOME to run on our phone. Um, but the fact that KDE is saying we will modify ourselves to run on phones. We've already modified ourselves to run on phones. Um, means the KDE one might have a better chance of being more user ready. Yeah, and like KDE already has like widgets and things that GNOME doesn't have widgets. GNOME doesn't even have desktop icons. Um, KDE already has widgets, and it's they've got like a scrolling home screen layout, a vertically scrolling home screen layout that it looks pretty cool when I watch the video. So yeah, check that out if you're interested in that. If it sounds like you might want a Linux phone, um, and of course it'll be completely unlocked if you get it. So you can use it on whatever carrier, you can resell it later. Um, but certainly consider backing that because I, I really want that thing to go through and actually be produced. I think that would be really cool. And our next story is about MPV. 0.27 has been released with some minor fixes. Uh, Richard, do you use MPV? No, actually I haven't. All I right, really have... don't actually play video locally on my Linux setup. Have you heard of MPV? Actually, I had it until this. Oh, article. okay. Well, that's interesting. So MPV is a lightweight video player. It's sort of like VLC, except instead of having all of your options right there up front, um, reportedly it's got all the same options, but you have to pass like terminal flags to get some of them, or you have to memorize keyboard um, hotkeys and shortcuts for some of the fancy options. But for just playing video, you say that you don't play video on your Linux system. I only have Linux on my laptop, and I make several videos per week for YouTube. So you can imagine I play a lot of video. Um, and I use MPV as my default video player on my computer. The reason I use it over VLC is because it's faster than VLC, um, both opening up and skipping around a lot faster. And it's also lighter weight. Um, but yeah, the only thing I use VLC for at this point is watching ISO uh, DVD rips. But MPV I use for like actual video and audio. And yeah, so this new version of MPV, the versatile open source media player, is available to download. Um, it's got some new code to allow for non-OpenGL video outputs in the future if people want to implement that. It's got a bug fix for, it's got a several bug fixes actually. It's got more reliable refresh seeks, various minor hardware acceleration patches, and support for subtitle extension called SMI. You're into subtitles. They've also got a stack of OpenGL updates, including HDR peak detection, direct rendering with OpenGL, and loading of custom user textures for the program. Um, and that's about it. It's a pretty small update, but you can download it now. I wonder if I have it. Let me check here. Here on Arch. I just updated before the show, like I said. So MPV version. I've got it. 0.27. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I would recommend. Do you have VLC on your um, Linux? I actually or? wouldn't see. I probably don't. I have whatever is the default All video right. player. In probably KD. not. I mean, if you never watch video or audio, then there's no reason to have anything on there. But, you know, as someone who only has Linux, once again, like, I don't go to Windows and use whatever. What do you use on Windows? 
to listen to or to watch I don't, videos. Well, I mean, I watch videos through the internet now. Like, I would have watched videos locally back when I did, like, have a YouTube channel of my own and I actually edited videos for it, but I don't really do that much anymore. So most of, like, my internet content, I just, or most of my, like, video content, I just consume through the internet. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. As a consumer, I guess that would be a little bit different between different people. Um, but yeah, that's a thing. So our next story is Ubuntu and GNOME developers have teamed up to ease your Unity to GNOME transition, um, namely by improving GNOME documentation. I think you're talking about this, Richard? Um, yeah, although I did not see the improving the documentation. That was, sure I, I put it in Rocket Chat by saying that, oh, Ubuntu is helping GNOME with their documentation, and then I posted the link. So yeah, that is literally what I, I wrote in there, but... You can you can yeah. take it away. All right. So basically, um, crap, I have the wrong article. But basically, in this new seventeen point ten, they have actually moved to the full GNOME three point two six stack, which is pretty awesome. So it's this is like only a few days old that they're now moving to, yeah. and they have the latest copies of that into it, and it will be released in October. Where is it? It'll become pre-installed in the upcoming OS due for release. So it will. Basically, 17.10 is due for release on October 19th, which is pretty darn soon, and it's cool that they already got that stuff integrated in. They will also be using the new 4.13 kernel, and it's going to be one of the first operating systems to actually use this officially. Yeah, so you just skipped over the middle two paragraphs of the article. That's where they talk about uh, Ubuntu devs are working with the GNOME community on documentation uh, so that when a bunch of former Unity users get switched over to GNOME next month, and they're all Googling how to fix everything and how to do things, then they'll actually be able to find what they're looking for through this new updated documentation. Um, so that would be like wikis, manuals, that kind of thing. And then they also fixed a GDM bug, uh, which that is the GNOME Display Manager. That's your login screen. They fixed a bug that was selecting the wrong session at login, uh, possibly selecting like the GNOME Classic or like the official GNOME session instead of the Ubuntu session. Um, but yeah, the patches for the bug fixes are upstream, says the Ubuntu desktop director, Will Cook. Uh, was there anything yeah, else actually... in the Softpedia article you wanted to talk about? Um, not really, actually. All right. Basically, I mean, those were the two main big things, and that was, I think that's definitely a big move for them that they're actually going to try and get these in so quickly, because one of the main things I wanted to find out about was Pulse Audio 11, and it does not appear that they're integrating Pulse Audio 11 into it still. Because yeah. I found, like, I was talking about this before the show, but I found, like, a Trello that I think is the official one. And there, it looks like it's proposed that they're going to get that in Ubuntu 18.04. And mm. so it kind of is frustrating to me that they managed to get two big things in. I mean, a whole, the whole new version of Linux kernel. Yeah. And a, um, and the whole new 3.26 version of GNOME. Yeah. But they couldn't get something like Pulse Audio 11 in it. Particularly yeah, because that's a kind of a struggle for me right now with the fact that Pulse Audio 11 will prioritize USB devices by default. Yeah. But no, it just goes to show you it that it currently the, doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Ubuntu's fixed release model, it's not that they have some actual reason to stop updating packages. It is fully just what they think they should update or what they have time to update or what they feel like they want to update. Um, they've been really working with the GNOME people, so they probably felt obligated to include the new GNOME. Um, because they, they haven't. Even, yeah. Ubuntu, even Ubuntu GNOME has been out of date with GNOME for years. Um, that was something that a lot of people complained about was like, oh, I got Ubuntu GNOME and it doesn't even have the latest version of GNOME, like right after the new version of Ubuntu GNOME comes out. Because they had to follow Ubuntu's packaging rules. But of course, 
Ubuntu proper doesn't have to follow Ubuntu's packaging rules. They can make exceptions for themselves so they can get the new <laughs> version of GNOME in. Um, and then the Linux kernel, I mean, that's partially probably a security thing because um, I think yeah. they even do kernel updates after some, uh, to some extent, after distros are released. Now, the reason I focused yeah, I mean, I on the... Yeah, I like it has updated here's the my thing, though, a couple times. Yeah, I think more people are going to care about the documentation thing than are going to care about the GNOME uh, version and the kernel version, honestly. Because um, me and you talk about this stuff, and we know what a kernel is, and we know what version of GNOME we're using, but I think, like, Ubuntu is made for people who are new to Linux and don't necessarily care, or just care but don't necessarily know yet um what gnome even is or you know what a desktop environment is people are going to be using ubuntu and they're going to be googling how to do things on ubuntu and they're going to be finding this documentation they don't necessarily care about um you know what version of gnome they're running some people were perfectly fine with having six month old gnome versions because there were plenty of people using ubuntu gnome even though they were always outdated that's the reason i focused on those things for the article but yeah yeah um, Still, and I mean, I don't think I've ever looked at much of the documentation for Ubuntu actually. So, I mean, back I when I used Ubuntu, I looked at it quite extensively. Yeah. So, I um, mean, since I'm not really using the default version of Ubuntu, since I'm using with KDE, I feel like it's probably not quite as relevant to me because I just I never liked Unity. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was fine with Unity. I kind of avoided it. Uh huh. Well. Uh, well, yeah, now GNOME 3.26 that they are including, it's got some new features. Um, we've got the release notes open right here. Why don't you give us a play-by-play -play of what all is in this new version of GNOME? Well, okay, so these are the release notes. I think I have them up now, but let's see. And I was at the very bottom of the article. So basically, there is an improved search, and they improved it in 3.26. It has an updated layout, and there's a screenshot, I think, right there showing it on his screen. But it allows you to read more items at once, and it's possible to search for even system actions. So that's pretty cool. You could even search for power yeah. off. I would wonder why you would search that, but I guess it's a cool feature to have. And um, that's the main thing there. We actually talked about the new look settings. Yeah, the a lot new, of the, quite a few of these the things. New settings things. menu. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about in the last, last couple week, shows. Yeah. And that was. I mean, we kind of gave our opinions on that, but I think it does look definitely better and it's easier to navigate through. Yeah, the two-pane. And you can also resize yeah. this two-pane settings window, which you couldn't do with the old window. Uh, I didn't realize, but that was mentioned. And then they have color emoji. Yeah, so. uh, color emoji have arrived in GNOME. Yeah, and they, they, they even mentioned that Polari, the GNOME IRC client, has a dedicated emoji picker. Does IRC have emoji built in? Or if you're not on GNOME, what's that going to look like? I haven't you're used IRC, so I don't know. <laughs> that would be interesting, but... Yeah. I guess it says it just, at the end of the day, it's just Unicode. It can just detect it, probably, and whatever client you end up being using will display it on the other end. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's obviously that's a very important feature. Oh, you know what's funny is I didn't even realize these boxes on my screen were supposed to be things, but they don't work in Chromium on KDE. That's for sure. So... They do work in Firefox. On, oh, do they? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Look at Firefox this. I'm going to switch to your screen. Display. Yeah, so Richard has the emoji on his screen right here. Um, whereas I, I mean, they look different, and they're not color, but... <laughs> you probably have something installed by Kubuntu that I don't have on Arch that does those, like, emoji package or whatever. But that that's enough that's time on emojis. What's the next thing? <laughs> so um, there's Browser Sync, which they did mention in the other article. Basically, in web, which is their GNOME browser, it's now going to be yeah. possible to sync, which I assume is just going to be similar to the Firefox Sync service. So, it's well, it's cool using the Firefox Sync service. So this oh, is okay. using yeah. your Mozilla account, and we talked about this a few weeks back, where you can now synchronize it uh, between Firefox and GNOME Web, even if you want to. 
which is actually pretty nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, at a certain point, I'd still stick with Firefox probably because I'm used to it more. But yeah. And then redesigned display settings. We kind of already talked about that. I feel like that's kind of similar to the. I don't remember look, talking but... about this. We talked about the redesigned settings center, but this is actually they redesigned oh, yeah. the display redesigned section. Monitor settings. settings. Yeah. yeah so okay. what they've done, it quote brings relevant settings to the forefront, which I think the gnome people finally figured out. The settings app should have settings in it. But um, it's got a new preview version of a new scaling setting. Um, so you can now scale your displays and then see a preview of kind of what it'll look like before you apply it. Um, and then you can also have per display. Well, they've already kind of had per display configuration. They do mention that that is only on Wayland. Um, your per display DPI scaling and things, that's not supported on X11. So they recommend Wayland over X11. Um, but yeah, there's a new, there's just the entire layout of the displays panel is now different. So, um, just, it's easy to join them, like extended display, single mirror, um, very large buttons at the top, um, looks simplified. I kind of like that. All right. Yeah. I mean, uh, it actually looks very similar now to like the windows one when you go to configure monitors on it and has kind of a lot more of the features that you would just expect to be able to do. So that's definitely a nice improvement. And then what's next? So they... They talk about some system refinements. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I was I read the other article mostly, the original blog post they had, but right. um, so I wasn't didn't read this one yet. But basically, they improved the I guess transitions so that when you maximize and unmaximize windows, they um, it's easier to track what's happening. Yeah. Also, they increased the size of window thumbnails in the activities overview so that it's easier to pick the window that you want, which I assume that's what the screenshot is directly from. And then the top bar becomes transparent when there aren't ma- any maximized windows, and it basically makes it easier to see, I assume, and just gives you a better sense of space. Uh, n- yeah, no, I don't bar. think it makes it any easier to see. I think that's just sort of a, a polished thing, just like on Android, how one of the it was just one of the last couple versions of Android. They made it so that the top your navigation bar on Android or your status bar on Android turned different colors based on different apps. When I open up Rocket Chat, it turns blue. When I go to my home screen, it's transparent. Uh, they've just brought that visual improvement to GNOME now. Oh, okay. And the dialogues which inform you when an application isn't responding have a new style, making them look more integrated and refined. Mm-hmm. So I I guess that's not... The application can't customize the style. They're just saying they gave it a new style. Yeah, it's a new style for the GNOME not responding box. Hopefully which you're not seeing that too much. Thing. But Yeah, I guess that's just supposed to match the rest of the style of the operating system more i don't know if it didn't match before because i haven't used gnome recently but. yeah i don't know <laughs> and um, then they and then say there's a big long a list. list of other stuff yeah, yeah. other other apps that they improved include gnome boxes their vm manager uh software which is their software center uh simple scan which they have in they have i don't what's the word annexed or like invited i don't know but they simple scan is a gtk scanning program and it is now part of the gnome project as of recently um they've got their logs app that we've talked about some improvements to recently their polaria irc application um in addition to emoji support now also has a new setup assistant uh they have made some updates to discs we've talked about recently uh wow no maps still exists i thought that you remember when that broke because they used no. to use OpenStreetMap, and then their API key got, like, they shut down the API, OpenStreetMap did, so then the Maps application <laughs> was broken for, like, an entire release cycle of GNOME. Uh, but they must have switched to another map system or used another API, because it's still there. Uh, which is, that's not important for desktops, but if it's going to be on phones, I would like a Maps app. Um, so, yeah. yeah. GNOME's calendaring contacts to do in mail applications have gotten some improvements. GNOME Photos... 
uh, calendar, terminal, we just said calendar, but yeah, terminal now highlights and makes it easy to open hyperlinks. Um, Evolution, which is their mail, their old mail client, I guess they've got more than one now. It's got a new to-do bar as well as some other things. And the GNOME tweak tool has been renamed to tweaks um, and is part of GNOME officially now. So all of that- Which again was something we talked about. Yeah, we talked about that a few Definitely since I started the show. Yeah. Um, All right, so yeah, anything else you want to say about GNOME 3.26, Richard? That's pretty much it. All right. Yeah, if I use GNOME, I'd be pretty excited about this. (laughs) Yeah. All right, and the next story we're going to talk about is a security uh, issue that happened this week or was discovered this week. Richard, have you heard about Blueborn? Not until these article roundups, so I felt kind of bad that I was out of the loop on this. But All right, yeah, so Blueborn is a set of Bluetooth security holes, um, and it did affect, just to be clear, this is not a Linux-only thing. This affected Windows. It affected smartphones. However, it does also impact Linux. So a security company called Armis has revealed eight separate Bluetooth wireless protocol flaws known collectively as Blueborn. Um, so these are flaws in Bluetooth itself, like the Bluetooth protocol um, and people's implementations of them. Uh, the, secure, the CEO of that company, Armis, said, these silent attacks aren't visible to traditional security controls and procedures. Companies don't monitor these types of device-to-device connections in their environments. They can't see these attacks or stop them. So, like, if you've got uh, antivirus software, like anti-intrusion intrusion detection systems on your computers or on your workstations or servers, they're going to be watching things like your actual regular network interface. They're going to be watching network traffic. But Bluetooth isn't really network traffic. Like, it is a networking protocol. It's a wireless, you know, it's connecting things together. But you know what I'm saying, Richard. Like, it, It's like the it whole just, security industry hasn't even really thought of this as a possible, like, yeah, vector, like I you're, guess, you're attack because they thought it was secured. Yeah, like, scan your emails that are incoming. Scan websites that you're going to. Scan files that you download. But nobody thinks about, like, scanning Bluetooth connections. Um, so yeah, on Linux servers and desktops, Blueborn can attack via the Linux kernel's implementation of the Bluetooth host L2CAP protocol. Specifically, it impacts Linux using L2CAP version 3.3 and above. The vulnerability has been assigned a security identifier number, and Red Hat rates the vulnerability as important. Um, the issue only affects systems with Bluetooth hardware. So like, my desktop, not affected. Uh, most servers, probably not affected. I don't know why, you know, this article says that it's seriously impacted servers but most servers aren't going to have bluetooth dongles on them i would guess if i had to guess. i would i imagine um, you wouldn't put that pretty sure if you'll it. you'll walk through a google data center running on linux i don't think every th- single one of their racks is going to have a bunch of bluetooth dongles hanging off the side but meanwhile i just imagine they do all their connections through bluetooth yeah it's like that's <laughs> google's secret <laughs> it's mesh networking through bluetooth but yeah um but yeah like my laptop does have bluetooth it's not enabled right now um, because this is running on a Wi-Fi dongle, which works better than Bluetooth. Um, but yeah. Ironically, do... my lap, my Chromebook does not have Bluetooth on it. Really? And my desktop does, because my desktop has a Wi-Fi card that includes Bluetooth as well with it. Oh. And I had to use the Wi-Fi card they gave me for a while, because last year in the dorm, they did not have proper Ethernet. So, hmm. But at least this year in the dorm, they do have proper Ethernet, which is nice. So I am on Ethernet now. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, if you are somebody who uses Bluetooth, because I don't, I don't blame people for using Bluetooth, it can be convenient to connect up mice or, uh, like, clickers um, for PowerPoint presentations or LibreOffice impress presentations. Um, or if you're using it to connect your phone 
to your laptop, um, then yeah, this would affect you. Um, now there is, if you've got stack protection enabled in your Linux kernel, that should catch attempts to exploit this issue. Um, and instead of allowing people to execute code, it's just going to crash your system. So still gonna crash you, but they can't actually execute code if your kernel has stack protection installed or enabled at compile time. Um, now most distributions have that enabled. Um, for instance, on Red Hat Enterprise Linux 7, 64-bit, stack protection is enabled. So, you know, people can crash your server if it's got Bluetooth, but they can't actually execute code. Now, if you're running Red Hat 7 on PowerPC, then stack protection is not enabled and they could actually execute code, which is a bigger issue. So yeah, and if you're using, by the way, they mentioned the version L2 cap version 3.3 and above, um, but if you are using an older version, you're still affected in a different way uh, and you can still be remotely exploited to crash. Um, but yeah, no execution of code in that case. Most other modern Linux distributions are also vulnerable, they say, but they also said most servers are vulnerable. Um, so yeah, I, I can't exactly trust everything that they're, that they're saying here. But yeah, fixes are in the work, but for now, the only real way to protect Linux against Blueborn is to disable Bluetooth on all your computers. So once again, I didn't have it enabled in the first place, because you know me and wireless, I like to keep it turned off when I'm not using it, but uh, be aware of that. How do I even change that setting in KDE? Um, well, do you see a Bluetooth icon in your notification center? Yes, it is apparently enabled. Now it is disabled. Yep, just uncheck right. the thing. Now it just disappeared from notification center. <laughs> Yep, that's how that works. That's why I asked. I was going to say, if you didn't see it there, not enabled. All right, and Richard, what's our next story? Um, I mean, I can talk about GitHub's um, yeah, go ahead. Atom IDE oh. now. All right, so you can switch to my screen, I guess. But um, basically, GitHub has now announced Atom IDE, which is pretty cool. I did use Atom about a couple years ago, I think, on and off. And eventually, because it didn't really have the features of an IDE, I actually was using it to develop Minecraft media. I ended up switching over to... Oh, what is it called? PHP Storm, which is by IntelliJ. Yeah. But this actually has made me like reconsider checking out Atom ID again. And um, they're doing like full new features, including things like context-aware autocompletion, code navigation, diagnostics, and document formatting. So this is stuff that most other IDEs have that's really nice to see them integrate into it. And because I get, I guess up until this point, Atom was more of a text editor, it was considered. Yeah. And so they, it's nice to see them kind of really trying to go down this path to make it actually fully useful in a bigger, broader development sense. And um, basically, they're using the language server protocol, which I'd never heard, but it's in, of, but it's enabled through it. And this allows them to use, to implement the stuff that I mentioned earlier and to do um, like rich analysis, refactoring be able to like interact and have a more understanding, I guess, of what the programming and the code is actually doing. And can't remember exactly. I did skim through this article earlier, but let's see. So, I mean, one of the main questions I do ask here is, is it enough to tear people away from Eclipse, Gnome Builder, and IntelliJ ID? And I mean, I will probably try this, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure that from what they've said so far, this would be enough to get me to move away from it, just because there's so much higher integration from yeah. what I've seen in terms of like PHP Storm and all the features it has. I mean, plus the just prevalence of plugins. And I know this has plugins too, but I feel like it's not going to have it to the same extent that something that yeah. has a, a standing of a couple of years has. That being said, IntelliJ has like managed to tear a lot of people away from Eclipse. 
and they're the new ones in terms of compared to Eclipse. So, I mean, I could see Adam IT if they do well over the next couple of years managing to pull people away from IntelliJ. So it all kind of just depends on how they handle it. Also, they managed, they mentioned the um, for the first release, the core things they're going to support is TypeScript, Flow, JavaScript, Java, C Sharp, and PHP. There is no like C or C++ included in that list, so I imagine they'll probably eventually add that. Yeah. But, I mean, since they do include PHP, I could try that for Minecraft Media just to see how it goes and to get like a comparison idea of it. But um, basically, you can install, um, you'll need to install the latest version of it. It's in the beta one. And you can get it from, I didn't actually check this earlier, but you can get it from their website, it looks like. Yeah. And that's about it on this, actually. I think it's definitely a cool thing, and I want to check it out. But other than that, since I haven't actually seen it yet in action, I don't have some, I don't have any firsthand feedback on it. But all right. There's that's that. About it. If you are a programmer, feel free to check that out. Um, so that's everything this week that we wanted to talk about on the show. Uh, hey, before we go, I just want to mention that Nerd on the Street, we're trying to save up for a capture card right now for our Extra Life 2017 stream coming this November. Um, so if you go to nerdclub.nots.co, you can sort of help us out by joining the Nerd Club. It's $3 a month, and you can join through Patreon, or you can join right on our website with a one-time checkout if you want to do prepaid. But Patreon's the easiest way to do it. Like I said, just 3 bucks a month. Join the Nerd Club. You get access to a live stream DVR, so the full uncut version of all of these live streams that we do. Um, you get access to some members on the areas on our websites and ad-free browsing experience on our website, which will soon include videos. Right now it's just the banner ads that you get removed um, and a couple of other things. So yeah, nerdclub.nots.co. Like I said, we're trying to get that capture card. And if you go to, there's a page I made just for our progress for the capture card. Um, since the last channel update, we've had a total of $21.21 come in from existing Nerd Club members. That was just the September payment at the beginning of this month was $21.21. Um, and we're counting how much money we're getting from the Nerd Club from now until the extra live stream in November. So yeah, nerdclub.nots.co. Um, help us get this progress bar a little bit further and help us afford that piece of equipment. Like I said, that's a capture card for the 26-hour extra live stream we're going to be doing in november this year so yeah uh that's just about everything for this week though hey richard if people liked your take on things this week they want to find more of you throughout the week where can they go at glorif22 on twitter or richardsprojects.net i have a blog there that i rarely post on but you can still <laughs> check it out yeah. more likely probably you'll probably more likely see a tweet so you can probably check me like check that out and follow on twitter all right, and then I am at JacobGKEU on Twitter, but I don't tweet often. You're going to find me more easily at nerdonthestreet.com. Um, hey, thank you so much to everyone who showed up uh, this week. Scott, uh, Jacqueline, uh, random dude, you know, everyone in the chat, even Alex, my, my friend Alex. I even know him. I don't know everyone who likes us on Facebook, but I know this guy who tuned in on Facebook for about two seconds and then left after we didn't see his chat message. Thanks for showing up, and we'll see you all next week. Uh, keep using Linux, everybody. Bye.